God. If you would, please take your Bible and join me uh, this morning in the book of Acts, in the second chapter, Acts chapter number 2. And we will begin our reading in verse number 1, Acts chapter 2 and verse number 1. And we're going to be um, reading a lengthy passage of Scripture this morning. We're going to read a lot from the Word of God, but that's a good thing. It's good for you, and it's going to be okay, all right? Reading the Bible is a net positive. So we're going to read um, from Acts chapter 2, verse 1, down to uh, around about verse number 37, or something along those lines. And every time I read this passage in the book of Acts, I'm reminded of um, one of my trips to court. Now, I've been to, um, don't judge me, y'all ain't always been saved either. I've been to court for several different occasions, um, but most, most of them have been, you know, relatively minor. But this reminds me of jury duty. I, I, know that, I know that some of y'all, you lie and you do everything you can to get out of jury duty. Oh, Your Honor, I've got a bad back. I'm pregnant. I can't, you know, and you do everything you can to get out of jury duty. But I love America, and I believe in doing my civic duty. And so I get, I get fired up every time I get called for jury duty. The first time I got called for jury duty, they took us back in kind of a, a special room and we watched, a, I think it was even a VHS tape of, I don't know, 30 minutes about the Constitution or something, and then we were dismissed. But the second time I was called for jury duty, I actually made it to the jury selection phase. And so I'm in the courtroom. Like, I'm in the jury box. The lawyers are there, the judges seated on his throne or whatever they call that, behind him is the great seal of the state of North Carolina, the American flag. It's, it's awesome. It's just like a John Grisham novel. And they start to ask you these different questions to find out if you're going to be a suitable juror, right? And so they ask you things. Um, juror number six, do you believe in the death row? Oh, yes, Your Honor. Do you need somebody to push the button? Yes, sir, I believe the death row. And they start asking you these questions. And the guy who... who you know, did it. I know he's innocent until he's proven guilty, but I could tell he did it. And I was ready to. I was going to fry him. That's probably why I didn't get selected. Uh, no, actually, I, actually, I ended up, I, I knew the arresting officer. I just, you know, he was an acquaintance, and so I, I was dismissed from that too. But I looked at that guy and, um, that was accused, and I don't know if it was like a, just a traffic violation or whatever, but he was guilty. <laughs> you know, you, you could tell. He just had that look about him. Shifty. And I think a lot of us as believers, we live our lives exactly the way that I experienced that jury selection process. That is, we look at people, maybe outside the walls of our church, or people that we interact with that aren't believers, and we think that it is our sacred calling and duty to sift through the evidence in their life to condemn them, to look for a reason to fry them. We act like God has appointed us to be judge, jury, and executioner. Or... We really, really take seriously God's command to share the gospel so much that we think instead of being Jesus' judge, jury, and executioner, we think that we're Jesus' lawyer. And we think that it's our job to argue with everybody, accumulate all the evidence that we can to convince as many people as possible that Jesus is right and they're wrong. When reality is, the scriptures tell us that God has called us to be his witnesses. And I hope you understand today the difference between a judge, a juror, a lawyer, and a witness. A witness is just the person who comes and tells what they saw. They tell what they experienced. They tell what they heard. 
outside of court, a witness is the guy on TV after the trailer parks come through the tornado. Or the tornadoes come through the trailer. Either way, it goes both ways, really, before it's over with. The tornado goes to the trailer park and the trailer park goes to the tornado, right? That's the problem with it. And after the tornado has come through the trailer park, the guy in the wife beater's on camera smoking his cigarette, right? And he says, I heard it, man. It sounded like a train coming through there. And I told mama, I said, mama, get them dogs up on that porch. And then it came through and it sucked my IROC Z right up in the clouds. <laughs> That's a witness. He's telling you what he experienced, telling you what he saw. What Peter is going to do in Acts chapter number 2 is what you have been called to do. He's going to be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what I hope you see from this passage of Scripture is more than just my impersonation of victims of tornadoes. What I hope you see today is how every follower of Jesus who is growing up in Jesus is inevitably somebody who is speaking up for Jesus. If a person is growing up in Jesus, then they are inevitably speaking up for Jesus. Let's read our text today. Acts chapter 2, verse number 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, and Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above. And signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus 
delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, the Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent! And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for for all who are afar off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. With many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord abideth forever. For two millennia, for 2,000 years, Christians have looked back on these events in Acts chapter number 2 and have marked this day as the birthday of the church. Now understand that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ as his bride has been in the heart of God as long as there has been a God which is forever. But it's here in Acts chapter number 2 that the people of Jesus, those first believers, are filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, they stand up publicly and give witness to the person, the work, and the salvation that comes through Jesus. And in response to that witness, the Bible says that 3,000 people are brought into the big family of God. And it's here that the church is born. But what you may not know is that the day of Pentecost actually has roots as a Jewish holiday predating Christianity. The day of Pentecost occurs 50 days after the celebration of Passover. And it was probably the most popular and widely celebrated of the ancient Jewish feasts at this time. And it was a time where they celebrated the harvest. They celebrated the fact that most of the hard work had been done, that they were going to get to eat for another year. And it was a time when people came together to celebrate the goodness and the provision of God in providing crops for them for another year. They gave glory and thanks to God for that. Theologically, the Jews also believed that it was on the day of Pentecost that God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. And it was their way of kind of marking 
their experience as the people of God saying, God made us as a people when he gave the law through Moses. And here is the people of God. We look back at Acts chapter number 2 and we say it's God who on the day of Pentecost made us a people by sending the Spirit and bringing the truth of the gospel to the world through his early church. For all this happening here in Acts chapter number 2, who is it, humanly speaking, that's right there in the middle of all of it? Who is it that is the mouthpiece for the brand new church? It's our boy Peter, isn't it? Outspoken, brash, unpredictable, unstable, at times immature. And here it is, just a few weeks now after Peter warmed himself by the fire where Jesus was being tried and said, you know, I've never even really heard of him. Here, Peter stands up and delivers the very first Christian sermon. But in delivering the very first Christian sermon, Peter really is acting as the very first Christian witness. He even says as much, right, in verse number 33. He says that we are here giving witness. We're here to tell you what we saw, what we heard, what we experienced in our time following Jesus. So as a witness, what does Peter get right? What does Peter seem to do well? What should we learn from Peter as we try to be faithful witnesses for the message of Jesus? What do we need happening in us, in our hearts, our minds, and our lives, to be faithful and to be fruitful the way Peter is faithful and fruitful. Notice with me first, and this is most important, this is where we'll spend the majority of our time this morning. We may not even get past it. And if we do, it'll probably be sometime this afternoon. First, Peter is filled with the Spirit. Peter is filled with the Spirit. Now, the significance of the day of Pentecost is not so much in Peter's sermon, even though it is significant. It's not so much in Peter's growth as a disciple, even though that's really critical. The significance of the day of Pentecost are the events that set the stage for Peter's sermon. The events that Peter has to interpret as the beginning of his sermon, where he has to explain the coming of the Spirit of God to this bewildered crowd of onlookers that has watched this church. So what's happened? Well, Acts chapter number 2 shows us that the people of God are together celebrating Pentecost, I'm sure. And suddenly, out of nowhere, there comes from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And whether it's the sound or the wind, something filled the room where they were gathered. Something from another world, a wind from another world, blew in to where the church was gathered in prayer. And I read this passage of Scripture and I think back all the way to Genesis chapter number 2, where God forms Adam out of the dirt of Eden. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter number 2, that when God formed Adam out of the dust of Eden, that he breathed into him. And Adam became a living soul. The Hebrew word for breath there is the Hebrew word ruach, and it's the word that is used to describe the Spirit of God in the Old Testament. The divine ruach, God breathed life into Adam, and Adam lived. And what you see in Acts chapter number 2 is very much an imitation of what happened in Genesis chapter number 2. God breathed into the shell of these Jesus followers, and they began to take their first breaths, and they began to cry out for Jesus, and they began to speak up for Him. This is an incredible moment in the history of redemption. Because now, 
The Spirit of God, which had come on people in the Old Testament at different times for different purposes, has now come to live inside of the people of God permanently so that they would bear witness about Jesus. And Peter has to explain all this on the fly. And he says, using Joel chapter number 2 in the beginning of his sermon, he says, what you are experiencing now is what the Old Testament prophet Joel predicted. Now look at what he says. Now this is, this is squirrely, y'all, and I can't explain all of it. I'm just going to drop it out there and let y'all figure it out. And y'all don't think I'm going to do all the work around here, do you? But he says in Acts chapter number 2, you've got the coming of the Spirit, visions, prophesying, old men, young women, all this kind of thing, slaves and free. And then he says that all this is going to happen in verse number 17 in the last days. It's going to happen at the end. And yet apparently the end was 2,000 years ago. Because Peter understood that the coming of the Spirit of God was in response to the faithfulness of Jesus. Now he says as much. Let me find my verse. Verse number 32. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received, that's Jesus, from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out the Spirit he received according to the promise of the Father, poured out the Spirit that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So what Peter says is this. He says that what you're seeing right now is a one-time-for-all-time, end-times event that is happening in response to the faithful life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. He's saying because of the faithful life, death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, he has ascended back to heaven as the perfect man, as the faithful covenant partner of God, as the true Israel, as the eschatological human being who has the right to inaugurate a new world by breathing new life into us old people. Say, Brother Jesse, I don't know if I understand that either. I don't know if I do either. But it sounded really good, didn't it? Here's what I can tell you. That the Spirit of God now comes into every person who puts their faith in Jesus. Peter says that in the sermon, right? He says, if you repent and be baptized, you can receive the Spirit of God. And the events in Acts chapter number 2 were one-time events. That cannot be repeated in history any more than Jesus' death and resurrection can be or will be repeated in history. And for us as the people of God, what we need to pray for today is not so much that all this Pentecost stuff would happen again. What we need to pray for today is God let us live as if it did happen. Let us live as if the Spirit of God is ours. Let us live as if you have really sent the Spirit of God because Jesus earned Him for us. That God, listen y'all, this is why I told y'all we wouldn't get past it until sometime this afternoon. I may just preach to 4 o'clock and we'll cancel evening service. Anyway, Our God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in one God who exists eternally in three persons. And it's kind of easier for us, at least it's easier for me to understand God as a Father and God as a Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Father says that at Jesus' baptism. Jesus goes through his life saying, I have not come to do my own will, but the will of my Father. I want to please my Father. I want to honor my Father. That makes sense, right? A father delighting in his son. A son having joy in his father. A son pleasing his father. Father and son loving one another. I can get that because I've got a son. I've got a father. I, I can kind of get with some of that. But it's hard to understand where the Spirit's at and all that, isn't it? Here's what the church has said historically. The church has said that, yes, the Spirit of God is a divine person. He is as much God as Jesus. He is as much God as the Father. 
But the Spirit of God is the love moving between Father and Son. The Spirit of God is the divine joy, even the divine energy that animates the eternal divine dance of Father and Son in love for one another. Now, why does that matter? Here's why it matters. Because the moment a person puts their faith in Jesus as Savior, they receive the eternal life of God that is the Holy Spirit. Y'all, this ain't just about you living forever. But the reason you are going to live forever is because you have been welcomed by the Son in the Spirit into life with God. And He has put that life in you. Now, if that's all true, and I think it is, if all of that's true... That the Spirit of God is the love processing between Father and Son. That means that for eternity, the Spirit has been presenting the Son to the Father. Alright? It's awesome, isn't it? The Spirit has been witnessing about the Son to the Father. What does the Spirit of God do now that He moves inside of me? He bears witness about the Son to the world for the glory of the Father. That's exactly what you find on the day of Pentecost. And it's what Jesus wants to do in your life too through His Spirit. He tells His disciple this in John chapter 16 and verse number 7. See, they had been, they had been prepped for this a few weeks earlier. I know this is catching us off guard, but they had been ready for this. Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage that I go away. Now, imagine Jesus saying something so silly. It's, it's good that I'm not going to be there to meet with y'all at church on Sunday morning. How could that possibly be good? Here's why. For if I do not go away, the Helper or the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Right? That's what He does at Pentecost. That's what He's done for us. Then, continuing on, I think verse number 12. Yes. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. Do you see what He says? Jesus says when the Spirit comes, He is going to glorify Me to you and through you. Now, I said all of that to tell you, the three of you who are still awake, I said all of that so you would hear this, that if you have been filled with the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit that animated Jesus in His faithfulness to His Father, the Spirit that fell on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God that breathed life into Adam, the Spirit of God that hovered over the unformed mass of creation in Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God that moved on the womb of a virgin named Mary, and place the eternal Son of God inside of her so that He can be born to forgive your sins. If you have that eternal Spirit of God living inside of you, you really have no right to sit here today and say, well, Brother Jesse, I'm just so shy and awkward. I don't know if I could ever share the gospel. I just don't know if I could ever initiate a conversation. I'm just, you know, I just have a hard time talking to people. I get anxious when my phone rings and I'm going to talk to somebody on the phone. Friend, you have the Spirit of God inside of you. The Spirit of the eternal God who wants to use you to glorify the Son that He has glorified and that the Father has enjoyed forever. Y'all, that is huge. And that is so much bigger than just sitting in a six weeks evangelism training class, isn't it? 
Saying, memorize, now memorize these verses and you go tell somebody about Jesus. Yeah, memorize the verses, but realize that you're telling people about the Savior through the power of the eternal Spirit of God. That's incredible. And to prove how devoted to this God the Father is, he gives these early disciples the gift of tongues. Now, I know we hear that and you immediately forget everything great I just told you. (laughs) Can we speak in tongues? And then should we speak in tongues? I don't speak in tongues. Should I feel worried? All that kind of stuff. I've preached about that before. Go back and find the sermons from 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. Here, I just want to point out to you that what God did in the apostles here was he gave them a gift of languages. The text bears that out because there are people in Jerusalem for the celebration of Pentecost that didn't speak the local language. And they say this, right? They're conscious of the fact, wait a minute, we're from Rome and and y'all are from Cyrene and we've got Arabians over here and Libyans and all this. And we know these guys are Galileans, which that was an insult that was a redneck language. You know, that's like, they sound like hillbillies. That's not like I did, basically. They sound like hillbillies. But we hear them declaring the mighty works of God in our language. How is it that, that this is happening? And the word language that's used here is a Greek word, dialectos, which is a word we get our English word dialect from. Now, y'all know what a dialect is, right? Like, I speak English. That's my language. And they speak English in Canada and in England and in Australia. We ain't got the same dialect, y'all. Not by a long, there ain't nobody in Toronto knows what a wash rag is. <laughs> right? But here, the Spirit of God is so committed to using His people to advance the gospel of the Son that the Lord gives them an accent from a place that they did not belong to, to speak a language they had never learned so that these people could hear the gospel in their heart language. Is that not incredible? And if that's true, then the Spirit of God can use you too. The Spirit of God can absolutely use you too. Now, Peter is filled with the Spirit. Let me run through the next two. Peter's filled with Scripture. I don't have time today to show you how Peter... It just incredibly, you'd almost think he was full of the Holy Ghost here, but how Peter incredibly uses the Word of God in this sermon. He starts with Joel chapter number 2. He goes from Joel chapter number 2 to the verses Brother Ken read this morning to Psalm chapter number 16. He goes from Psalm chapter number 16. He makes a brief passing allusion to 2 Samuel chapter 7 on his way to Psalms chapter 110, verse number 1. And he ties it all together in God's plan for Jesus and God's plan for the world. Now, let me say just this very, very quickly. That really, as a preacher of the gospel and as a church, our message is the same message that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. I may not be preaching it in unknown tongues. I may be preaching it in Appalachian American English from the mountains of North Carolina. But all that the church, the true church, ever does is really just look at Peter and say, what he said. For 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ has been a one-hit wonder, playing one song. And the message that Peter preaches, basically, is look to the Jewish people. He says, listen here. You, in sin, rejected Jesus. But while you, in sin, rejected Jesus... God had an eternal plan to use your sin to put His Son on a cross. And there on that cross, God took your sin and put it into His Son. And God handled your sin forever. 
and Jesus died on that cross. And then he says one of my favorite verses in the Bible in verse number 24. God raised him up. I would, I would encourage you to think about that. The Bible does not say merely that Jesus raised from the dead. He did. God raised him up. Why? Because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Death had no rightful claim on him because he did not die for his own sin. And having made a perfect atonement for our sins, death could not handle him and it could not hold him. And God brought him up from the grave. And then Peter at the end of his sermon says, here's what you need to do with that good news. What you need to do with that good news is you need to repent and you need to look to Jesus by faith and you need to make it public by passing through the waters of baptism. To which I say, amen, Peter, you said it better than I could. That is the Christian message. But I want to say to you today that if you want to be a faithful echo of Peter's message, you need to to be able to use Scripture to do that. And Peter does an amazing job of it here. Just think about it. He quotes from Joel chapter number 2. I'm not even sure that if you push me, I could find Joel in a hurry. And I know that I can't quote anything from the book of Joel. But Peter had it locked away in his mind, right? Psalm 16, Psalm 110, the story... Of David in 2 Samuel, Peter had all of that locked away in his mind. So I want to encourage you today to do everything that you can to hide Scripture in your heart. Because if you hide it in your heart, and as you hide it in your heart, the Spirit of God will bring it out so that other people can hear it when they need it. Now, sure, if the Lord wanted to, tomorrow while you're in the drive through line at Jack's, the Lord could just drop Joel chapter number 2 and bring it out of you. But... Ordinarily, the Lord will want you to memorize it. Now, I know you're not going to do that because we hate memorizing things. It's hard work. But when has anything profitable ever been easy anyway, right? Do the hard work of memorizing the Word of God so that you can use it. Let me also encourage you to to think through how you can hear sermons, Sunday school lessons, and listen to the Word of God in those places evangelistically. Here's what I mean. You're going to talk to somebody tomorrow or Tuesday, and they're going to be like, what did y'all do this weekend? Oh, you know, we went over here to the pumpkin patch, and we came home, and we watched a football game, and we made a pot of chili, and then went to church on Sunday morning, right? And you're going to be able to say, you can say this, you can say, you know what my preacher preached about on Sunday morning? He preached about the very first Christian sermon. And do you know what that sermon said? And then you can share the gospel from that. Or think through when you read the Word of God, if you read the Bible in the morning or night or however you spend time in the Word of God, what is God saying to you in that time that He may be saying to you to communicate to somebody else? If you are going to be a faithful witness of the gospel, you have to be filled with Scripture. Okay? You have to be filled with Scripture. Remember I told you that um, God formed Adam in the garden and then breathed into him with his breath, this divine spirit, and Adam became a living soul. Do you know what the other hand of God working in creation was? And God spoke and said, let there be light. It was his word. God uses word and spirit to make people. That's what God uses in Acts chapter number 2 to make his church, to make Christians. He uses word and he uses spirit. Now, here's the good news for you. Okay, the good news for you is that, like, like, if, like if you're like me and if you were raised in church, most of us that have been raised in church, we memorized enough Bible verses when we were kids in Sunday school to save the world. We did. They're in there. 
And we need to get busy sharing them with people. You know the stories of the Bible. You know about Daniel and the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know about Jonah and the whale. And every one of those stories tells the story that Peter is proclaiming here. They tell the story of God's faithfulness. They tell the story of our God who saves. They tell the story of Jesus who rescues his people through his death and his resurrection. Share those stories with people. You'd be surprised what they could do when you release the word of God out into the wild. Let me finish up by telling you this. He's filled with Scripture. He's filled with the Spirit. But Peter, who's very, very direct, is filled with boldness. Peter is filled with boldness. They hear this sermon. And his sermon has been a little bit confrontational. You crucified him with wicked hands. Me? Peter has no problem being direct in his preaching. And I, for one, appreciate that. He's direct in his preaching. But then at the very end of it, you can see in verse number 37, they hear this, they're cut to the heart. They're cut to the very deepest part of their being. And they say to Peter, well, if we have through our sin brought about the death of our Savior, and that Savior has now risen, and He is at the right hand of God, and He's given His Spirit to His people, brothers, what in the world are we supposed to do now? And Peter just drops the clutch, doesn't he? Repent (laughs) and be baptized. Turn from your sins. Identify with Jesus. Peter is bold. Now, if you have been with us over the past few, over the past few months now, as we've studied the life of Simon Peter, or if you know the story of the life of Simon Peter, would you not agree that Peter's boldness is kind of both his greatest asset and his greatest liability? Right there are times when Peter... His boldness, sorry, this thing's rubbing my beard and it's about to drop all of us crazy. I know some of y'all don't have OCD, and, but some of us do, pray for us. Through much tribulation, we'll enter the kingdom and hand wash it. That was an OCD joke. Um, Peter's bold, and sometimes it pays off really well. Matthew 16, remember Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter just blurts it out and there it is. And then there are some times when Peter the blurter, it doesn't really pay off. He says just dumb stuff and sticks his feet in his mouth, you know, like all of us do. But now, that boldness, that's part of Peter's God-given makeup. His boldness has been redeemed and empowered by the Spirit of God to be useful in the hand of the Lord for the sake of the gospel. I think that's significant for us. Because some of us, let's be honest, we're blurters. And we say the first thing that comes to our mind, even if nothing's come to our mind. Some of y'all know you're bad to just start sentences and you don't. Some of y'all get elbowed by your wife's heart right now. This is a sanctifying moment. The Lord is growing you and shaping you. But you do, don't you, man? You... You just start out talking and you don't know where you're going to end up and neither does anybody else. We're just along for the ride. And you hurt people's feelings and you say things that come across as mean and you end up and, and, you know, say things you don't mean. We all do that. Well, I do that. Some of y'all do it too. But you know that God can take people like that and use them for the sake of the gospel. And then there are some of you, you pray when you come to church every Sunday morning, Lord, please don't let anybody shake my hand. Please don't let anybody talk to me. You just not, you're not an extrovert. You just are terrified that somebody's going to hug you. You'll have to engage that somebody's going to ask you how they're doing. You're just quiet and, and you're you know internal person. 
Did you know that God can use people like that for the gospel too? Did you know that God can use people that come from broken, messed up families and situations? And he can use them for the gospel. He can use people from good Christian families that were raised in church and use them for Jesus. My point is that sometimes those things that we think are our greatest asset when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they can, our greatest liability, when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they can be our greatest asset. But I also want to say this to you about Peter's boldness. We need boldness. We really do. To share the gospel, we need boldness. And I think that many, many times the reason we don't share the gospel is just because we're afraid. I really think that for however we might couch it, really the issue is what the Bible would call the fear of man. It really is, I think, that simple. We're just afraid of what people are going to say to us, afraid of what people are going to think about us. If we're really, really honest today, for most of us, the problem is not a lack of training. I'm not against evangelism training. I'm, I'm for learning everything you can to help you share the gospel more efficiently and more effectively. But a lot of us have been trained, haven't we? We know the verses, we know the gospel, we know the scriptures. Listen today, if you have ever been born again by the grace of God and trusted Jesus as your Savior, you've got a story to tell, all right? The problem is not a lack of training, and heaven knows that the problem is not a lack of need. It's not as if somehow the world's more in love with Jesus than it was 20 years ago, I assure you. The problem is not out there. The problem is not with our training. I think the problem is our lack of boldness, that we're just afraid to speak up and to cut loose like Peter did and to let it rip. And just to say, here's what God has done in Christ and here's what he can do for you. And call people to Jesus and call people to repentance. I have prayed this week that God would give our church a spirit of boldness to share the gospel. And I'm not just talking about when we preach. I'm not talking about when we're together. It's easy to be bold in here, isn't it? But it's something else to be bold in your office. It's something else to be bold in the cafeteria at school. It's something else to be bold with a family member that knows your junk from before you met Jesus. That's something different. But the Lord, through His Spirit, can provide that. And if I know you the way I think I do, and I think this altar ought to be full this morning with people saying, Lord, give me boldness that is supernatural. Give me boldness to share the gospel. And Lord, use me the way you used Peter. Lord, I may not stand up and see 3,000, but I would sure like to see my grandchildren respond through my witness. I would like to see my parents respond through my witness. I would like to see my mom or my dad. I would like to see my friends. Lord, whoever it may be, I want to see them respond to my witness. Would you give me the opportunity? Give me the boldness. Thank you for the Spirit. Now, Lord, Wind me up and cut me loose for the glory of God. That really is going to be the invitation today. So let's stand and let's get ready to sing the song. Do you need to come and say, Lord, give me that boldness. Give me confidence in your spirit. Confidence in the gospel. Confidence in your scriptures. Use me, Lord, to tell people about Jesus. Oh, God, we thank you that the gospel has come to us. Lord, through the faithful witness of Peter, who witnessed on Pentecost, to others who heard it, to others who heard them, and to others who heard them throughout the generations, until the gospel witness came to us. But Lord, the gospel witness has to go out to others as well. And so, Father, I pray that you would change our hearts, make us bold, and use us for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. How about it? How many would like to come and say, Lord, make me bold. Lord, use me. Use me wherever you send me.